All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. New week, that means it's a new episode of the DFO Rundown, episode 234. And I'm not Jason Greger, but this podcast is still brought to you by Batano, 2023 EGR brand of the year. The game starts now, 19 plus. Please play responsibly, batano.ca. Frank, you called in the e-bug. Yeah, the e-bug, the, I don't know if you count as third string, though. More like six string. Kind of if you had to rank the show, I mean, I know my place. Yeah, but look, uh, Tyler, great to have you filling in for Jason, who is at his chalet in Canmore. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always good. There's plenty to talk about. So want to give the people what they want. Let's get some hockey talk going. Yeah, let's uh, let's dig into it because we have gotten some breaking news here in the last 24 hours. Alex Debrinkat finally lands in Detroit and the package going back the other way involves forward Dominic Kubelik, a prospect, a conditional first, which basically means because Detroit owns Boston's first next year, that Detroit can choose which one between their own first rounder and Boston's that they send to Ottawa next season. There's also a fourth round pick in 2024 in the deal. I guess we'll start, Frank, with what you make of the package that Pierre Dorian's able to get back for Alex to break out on the surface. When you consider what he gave up last summer, it feels underwhelming. Am I right to feel that way? Yeah. And it's not pretty if you're a Sens fan. Here's the thing. It's not pretty for a number of reasons. One, the prism with which you just mentioned it in that They gave up the number seven overall pick plus a second and a third one year ago. So to get one year of Debrinket and for by his standards, a two time 40 goal score, a pretty disappointing year, all things considered at that. And then on top of it, you not only have to trade Debrinket in division, but to another team that's in almost the same category you are rebuilding and trying to fight and break through into a playoff spot next year that you've essentially not only gotten sense back on the dollar, but you've also then now helped a rival team that's fighting for the same playoff positioning you are, man, that really hurts. And so The return is underwhelming, but at the same time, probably to be expected because the player in this case wields so much power and control. And I think in some ways, the return was not just a referendum on Debrinket. That wasn't the only referendum on Debrinket. It was also the contract that he signed because he ended up only getting four years and instead of a a long-term deal... 
still puts $31.5 million in his pocket. And yes, he gets to hit unrestricted free agency again at age 29. But nonetheless, probably a bit of an eye-opener for Debrinket as well, who ended up in the one place as a Michigan kid that he really clearly wanted to go. And so that power and control is part of the reason why the return wasn't exactly savory for the Sens. But here's the thing. I, I know that Sens fans aren't feeling great today. I'm not going to not going to kick them while they're down. I think when you have a GM who takes as big of a swing as Pierre Dorian did last year at the draft to signal that your rebuild was over, yes, last season was disappointing, but I'm never going to fault or knock anyone for trying to do something a little bit different because they knew at that exact moment in time with one year left on Debrinket's deal that this was a possibility that an American kid might want to go back and play in the U S that ultimately came to pass, but sometimes you got to take the bat off your shoulder. Yeah. I don't fault him at all for taking that swing. Like you go back kind of 12 months ago and it was like, Hey, you're adding this exciting young 40 goal guy who a lot of people, you know, didn't think whatever even hit the trademark. You're throwing him in with this great young core. It made sense. Just didn't work out. It's also an interesting shift in the power dynamic, right? You mentioned how much power to bring at yielded in this whole thing. I mean, the RFA status and that the way that kind of works in the CBA, Frank, it was always supposed to do the opposite, right? It was supposed to be a chance for these teams to keep control of their young guys. And it's been interesting with the Brinkat and Dubois, the way these young players and I guess their agents have kind of figured out like, whoa, 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 we can play hardball all we want. We can pick our spot way earlier than our unrestricted free agent years. Yeah, the same thing happened with Timo Meyer a few months back too. Um, all he had to do was signal, hey, that's a place that I wouldn't want to re-sign with. And all of a sudden, they're not trading for him. So I think the big lesson for teams is don't let your players get to one year away from unrestricted free agency when their RFA deal expires. Do whatever it is you can to essentially walk them either to unrestricted free agency or at least multiple years before unrestricted free agency to retain as much power as possible. I do want to add in one thing on the sends. And if you look at it from an alternate viewpoint, which is, hey, maybe, you know, the hot talk around Vladimir Tarasenko has been that he'll be going to Ottawa. And so maybe in some ways, as underwhelming as the return is for Debrinket, that adding Dominic Kubalik and then potentially Vladimir Tarasenko, you think Kubalik somewhere in the 15 to 20 goal guy, 45 points. If Tarasenko can get you 25, 15 plus 25 is 40. Maybe they saved themselves from themselves. We were talking about this the last number of months. How many $8 million players can the Ottawa Senators afford? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's a worthy question. And if they've now increased their flexibility via a lack of term. I don't know. I feel like maybe in some ways they end up coming out ahead in the deal. Yeah, maybe you mentioned Kubelik over the course of his career. He averages 23.7 goals for every 82 games he plays. Like if you're throwing that guy in your middle six. I mean, you're, Probably shouldn't be complaining all that much. Last season, he popped home 20 on that Red Wings team, and his shooting percentage was a tick lower than his career average as well. I like the pickup of Kubelik. So is the Tarasenko thing, you think there's some actual smoke there when it comes to him potentially joining the Sens? They have just over $5 million in cap space. I think it's one of the options on the table. I okay. think they could make something happen if he's interested in going there to be part of the solution. Um, I also think that the way the board was reset the last few days, that there's an opportunity for Tarasenko to do a bunch of different things with him changing agents and maybe looking at things from a different perspective. Fair enough. Uh, so that's kind of our, I guess, what's next for Ottawa. Um, when it comes to the Detroit side of this deal, you mentioned DeBrinkat really gets what he wants. I kind of applaud uh, Steve Eisenman for kind of waiting out the market the way he did to get the DeBrinkat at the price he ended up getting him for. Uh, does this change your viewpoint of the Red Wings offseason? Because I remember the last podcast when you guys were wrapping up free agency, both yourself and Gregor were kind of like, uh, 
they didn't do a lot that you loved, but does this change it? I, I think in some ways it it definitely changes it. And I do like that Steve Eiserman, it seemed like he wasn't willing to bend on one part of this deal. So like, yeah, you can have a first round pick, but it's going to be the later of these two that we have. So he didn't bend on that front. He didn't bend on the term or the AAV for Debrinket. Um, even the players that are involved in the deal, like a lot of people were excited about the idea of Donovan Sobrango. He's an Ottawa kid going back home. I get it, but he also spent half of last year in the ECHL. So not, you know, not one of, you know, an A-level prospect, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, you look at the other parts of it. Yeah, Kubalik, fine. But Kubalik, one year from now, is going to want to get paid. And are you, are you going to want to pay him? Is Detroit going to want to pay him? That's the question. So um, I like the addition to Detroit's lineup. I think when you look at some of the players that they do have, there's going to be enough players on that team that can feed him the puck. And I like how he slots in salary cap-wise you know, almost a million bucks under Larkin and still a healthy gap between himself and cop and Comfer. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see who he plays with. And I always wonder about the idea of a player going to a team that's near his hometown. He's a Farmington Hills kid. How does he respond? Some people love it. Some people can't do it. So there's different and unique pressures that come with it. Uh, he's obviously got some familiarity with some of the teammates there that I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like and the chemistry, but I don't think it's, it's not a stretch and it's, it's a fact to say that the Detroit Red Wings improved over the last 24 hours. My question is how much, because I'm looking at the Red Wings and I'm saying, I just, I'm not a believer in their defense from top to bottom. Um, I have questions about their goaltending. And I think their forward group is pretty solid, but needs help in the depth spots. And I don't know. I'm not, I don't think the Red Wings, to me, purely my opinion, have made a big enough leap to be a playoff team next year, but we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting to look at their blue line, right? They obviously have Moritz Sider, who's great. And then outside of that, it just, it feels like they went out and got a bunch of just guys, you know, and they're good, but they didn't get any difference makers on the blue line is my point. It feels like they're going to try get through next season with a, you know, the sum of their parts will be great. Everyone can kind of chip in for 15 to 17 minutes a night, get them through it, have a decent penalty kill with some good vets back there, like Hall and Sherratt, like, they didn't go out and get that Orlov-esque piece, right? Is kind of my point. They have Mo Sider and five third-pair defensemen. Is that harsh? Maybe a little bit. On a really like good, Wallen. on a good, like con- a really good contending team, those guys are all third-pair guys, right? Yeah, there's a couple of them. I think you'd be fine with his fours, but none who are. You know the difference between like a third and a fourth defenseman, right? A third D-man can like carry your second pair. A fourth guy can survive on your second pair. I see they have a ton of fours. But I think you're making my argument for me because I would say that you would say that none of them are twos. Yeah. Outside of Cider, obviously. Who's a one? Right. But yeah. Yeah, I think you're bang on at that. And I think their left side is still maybe a little bit thin, but... I don't know. The Debrinket deal slots everyone down a bit on the right side. I like their center depth. They'll be interesting to watch next year. I don't think even with the even with taking Debrinket off Ottawa and putting him on Detroit, I don't think Detroit is like miles ahead of that pack of Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit. I still view them all as very, very close after this. I see. I I don't. I think Buffalo to me is head and shoulders above the other two, and I think it's a race. If I were to slot them right now, I'd go Buffalo, then Ottawa, then Detroit. Yeah, Ottawa and I Detroit. I think the Sabres are, are a playoff team next year. I think they are too. I guess 
My only concern with the Sabres is, are you going to get the same kind of season from Tage Thompson? Like you can talk about how, you know, his numbers were incredible. And I'm not trying to say he's not legit, but when you look at the point total he put up, like 12 of them came in two games. Is he going to have two 12 point game or two six point games again next year? Like, I think he's a point of game guy. Is he a 95 point guy again? I don't know. Um, I, I wonder about their uh, goaltending. Like if you're worried about Detroit's goaltending, you got to be worried about Buffalo's, right? Uh, I'm less worried about Buffalo's. But it's more I, I unproven. More unproven, but higher upside. Sure. I do like their blue line a little bit more. Darlene Are you kidding? Samuel They've got the twin, the twin yeah. towers and Darlene and power. And then yep. look at the competition on their back end. Oh yeah. Like, like you're going to have someone like a Jacob Bryson or Henry Yoki Haru or Eric Johnson, whoever it is, someone's going to be sitting out on a nightly mm-hmm. basis. Yeah, that's a fair point as well. Um, oh, one more thing I wanted to touch on just since we're talking Detroit and all that. Philip Zadina, sixth overall pick in 2019. They mutually terminate that deal. Like Zadina walks away from almost $4 million over the next couple of years. Frank, why did he walk away from that kind of money? That was a bit of a head scratcher for me. Well, it's $4.6 million and it's more or less unprecedented by NHL standards. You have a player that got to the the second contract, is able to earn a pretty decent little payday. It's part of the reason why he wasn't picked up off of waivers. Teams were intrigued by the player but didn't like the cap hit. And he bet on himself. That guy has balls the size of a dump truck. If you're able to walk away from 4.6 guaranteed over the next two years and go and play for 750 or a million dollars this year, whatever the number ends up being, because you've got a long way to go to make that back. And I like it because he obviously has some kind of talent. I don't like it because to this point, and I don't, it's always difficult to decipher how much of this is due to opportunity and, and otherwise. He's mostly been a perimeter and fringe NHL player to this point. And so that's really, I, I, I'm, I, I like it, but I'm, I also cringe for him because I, I worry just in the same way about John Klingberg and some others. If you walk from that money, are you going to be able to make it back? And Tyler, you like to gamble as mm-hmm. our friends at Batano know. Uh, I like to gamble. I just don't know if I'd be willing to give up that kind of security. Like if they said to me, you got to go play in the AHL next season or the next two seasons, and it's going to be in Grand Rapids and I'm going to make 4.6. I don't know about you, but I'm probably going. Yeah, and then too. I figure out the next part of my career at age 25 after the fact. But he's 23. He's got a long road in front of him. I'll be curious to see where he signs. But, man, it's a really big bet to make. It certainly is. This is a guy, 28 goals in 190 career games. Again, you look at the shooting percentages and you're like, oh, those are so low. He's like a great, I, I call it positive regression is always my joke on the Oilers shows. He's a great positive regression candidate. But then you mentioned it, Frank, he's a perimeter guy. Like those shooting percentages aren't low out of bad luck. They're low because he doesn't get to dangerous areas all that often. Um, when you look at maybe some teams who would make sense to take a flyer on him. Um, what about the guy that drafted him in Ken Holland? I mean, you want to go somewhere where you'll play with skill. 750K in Edmonton, do the Connor Brown thing. Although you might sit there and go, well, how many guys can do that? In one season, um, is there anywhere that you look at and go, ah, there's a team who would take a flyer on a good young player like or on a on a young player with potential upside like Zadina? I don't see it in Edmonton. They've got basically one forward slot left. I, you know, I think it's a long shot. What about a team like Boston? Like if I'm Z- if I'm Zadina, I'm going to a place where I know I'm getting. If I'm going to sign for seven fifty or a million bucks, I'm going to a place where I know I'm getting opportunity. Mm-hmm. I look at Boston and I look at the other free agent signings they made, all pretty low value in terms of cap hit, but high upside. 
see if you can work your way into that lineup. Go with an all check line if you can. Go Pasternak, Zadina. I don't know who are you gonna put. Put is there a check to put down the middle there? Is there has Zaka to be, check? right? Yeah. There you go. Pavel Zaka. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah, he's so he's the left. Right. Yeah, that Bruins lineup. There, there'd be some opportunity in there for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Stay in division as well. Maybe stick it to the Red Wings a little bit. Um, get to be around a guy like David Pasternak as well. I'm sure that would have some appeal. So there you go. Yeah, Zadina. I mean, you said I like to gamble, Frank. I've never gambled four point some million dollars in a potential career earnings. So a little bit uh, dicier than I usually like to get. Yeah. But so I, I mean, res- I respect it. <laughs> he's he's flying naked, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, sticking with news we got as of late, uh, Anze Kopitar gets a new deal with the LA Kings two years, $7 million, but it doesn't start until the 24, 25 season. So it takes his AAV down three mil from what he's currently making, gives the Kings some cost certainty through these next handful of seasons. When you look at the fact that himself, Kevin Fiala, Pierre-Luc Dubois, these guys are, they're, they're core forwards. Deneau's in that mix as well. They're all kind of locked up for this next little bit. The Kings know what they're going to be paying their big guns. Um, what did you make of Kopitar re-upping for the next bit in LA? I like it. And I yeah. saw a lot of people that were critical of it saying, this is way too much to pay for a guy that if you watch him over the last 10 years, seems to be losing a step every year. And I'm like, I don't care how much speed Andre Kopitar might be losing. And this will pay him until he's 38 years old. I'm he's so smart and so talented that he's going to be just fine. And the Kings are going to be in a perfect position. And yes, he's coming off of the best season that he had. I don't know in a few years, but still um, I love the idea. If you're Rob Blake, even if you feel like in, you know, the second year of this deal, that it's a touch of an overpay. Like, let's say you think he drops down to a $5 million valuation by then. The security of being able to have Kopitar, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Philip Dano down the middle for you, I'm one of those believers that you need play drivers and you build your team right up the middle of the ice. Goaltender, center, star defenseman the kings goaltender aside seem to have a lot of those boxes checked yeah but goaltender is uh is the big one there i, th- I feel like you know people pushing back on the copetar deal everyone's still in this like flat cap mindset right and you got to start thinking that like it's going to start jumping again right away so when you look at a deal like copetar is like even next year if the cap jumps up to 87.5 or north of it $7 million isn't the same as it is right now. And then you look in the final year of that deal, if it jumps up a little bit more then all of a sudden, if you're paying Kopitar 7 million, but he's planted on your second line, like that, that might be going right for a second line centerman at that point, right? Like when the cap starts jumping, the brink ad steal, all of this, they, they look better as time goes on. Like if I was a GM right now, I'd be going for term all day, knowing what that number could be in terms of the salary cap or five years down the line. A hundred percent. Like go back to the Sens and the conversation we were just having about all their $8 million players. How laughably good are those contracts going to be for Stutzla and for Brady Kachuk and for Jake Sanderson and all these guys like they're, they are, they're going to, they're Pierre Dorian, whoever's running the Sens is going to be rolling over laughing at how good those deals are between now and when they're up. Yeah. And Sanderson, by the way, doesn't have one of those deals, but I'd imagine at some point that he will. Yeah. Like Josh Norris, 7.9. Like if that guy's going to be a 30 plus goal centerman for you for the bulk of that contract, you're laughing by the year 2025. Drake Batherson, 25 years old, paid till his 29 year old season, 62 points last year, under 5 million bucks. Come on. All those deals, it's going to look insanely good. Yeah. 
Uh, that's why I don't even really mind the Corpus Allo deal. Everyone's like, why would you give him the term? First off, he's really talented. He's under 30. You need stability at the position. And you have him for... Yeah, it's 4 million is a totally reasonable number to spend on goaltending. Yeah, if you go with the 1A, 1B approach with him and four, like spending 6.75 on those two is it's a decent price to pay for your goaltending right now. Never mind what it could be, uh, what it could be down the line. Um, you didn't say it, so I will, Frank. Bargoons yes, all around. Bargoons, all absolute bargoons. Uh, what else we got to get to? Ah, here we go. <laughs> Frank, you made some noise on Twitter with the old John Gibson thing. What's going on? Well, it was certainly an interesting couple of days. Uh, the phone calls that I got were rather intriguing. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Um, the response, it was really funny to see like kind of Twitter. And by the way, I'm really enjoying threads uh, as a total legit. aside. And I, Tyler's content is, is funny because it's also like, I feel like everyone's kind of let their hair down a little bit as an aside. Like it's definitely not as formal as Twitter, which sounds weird to say because it's a social media platform, but um, I've enjoyed it. And so people were kind of, you know, really latching on to the statement that Gibson's agent uh, in Kurt Overhart sent out, which was, you know, refuting what I had mentioned on the Nasty Knuckles podcast. Um, and first off, like there's some context and nuance to anything that's said on the pod. I'll say that first, when you tweet out like five words of a quote, it's always a dangerous spot to be in. So I'll say that first. And second, um, not walking back any part of what I said. Um, and as mentioned in my response to Kurt Overhart, um, he's attempted to knock me multiple times publicly and that hasn't exactly worked out well for him. And this time as well, as mentioned, I, I keep the receipts. So that's okay. What I will say, and the best way to explain the John Gibson situation is there's a lot of frustration there. I think the Ducks and Gibson's camp have tried and done a really good job to keep a lid on it. And they've let it play out as it is. But he's sort of between a rock and a hard place. I always think back to Roberto Luongo and what he was saying when he was trying to get out of Vancouver. It's like, that contract is a blessing and a curse. It's really nice to have the money, but it sucks when that's the one thing that's anchoring you to a spot that you really don't want to be. And he's made it really clear to the Anaheim Ducks. Another funny part about that entire statement from Kurt Overhart, which is no one was knocking or refuting when I was the first person to report in April that John Gibson had requested a trade. That part never refuted, which is funny. This was a bridge too far, apparently. And... It's it's that contract is keeping him locked in along with the fact that Pat Verbeek, the Ducks GM, would really like to get something of value in return for Gibson. You know, you go back one year's time and the Ducks were asking for, I was told at the time, multiple first round picks to get John Gibson. I don't know how accurate that is, but seemed like a steep price then. And it, there's a lot of teams that are intrigued by John Gibson and there aren't that many chairs remaining open in the annual game of goaltending musical chairs, but they're intrigued by his talent because clearly he has a lot. And what I love about John Gibson is he's one of the NHL's best competitors. That guy breathes fire. You never have to wonder when he shows up, what you're going to get from him. And I think that's what's really worn on him in this situation is he wants to win. It's been a struggle with a rebuilding team, especially seeing as much rubber as he does showing up to the rink every day. I'd have to imagine um, knowing that when you walk through those doors, you don't really have much of a chance to win. And that probably is eating at him and driving his change of scenery. I don't think there's anything personal 
Um, I don't think there's anything inflammatory or anything like that. This isn't really all that different than a lot of other situations that pop up around the league. It's just that for whatever reason, this one's become or becoming a little bit more public because he's really, I, I believe to be steadfast on his wishes to go to another market. The problem with the goaltending market right now is there's a lack of seats, right? Like I think we even saw that a little bit with a guy like Tristan Jari and his unrestricted free agency eventually just went back to Pittsburgh. Granted, he got a pretty good bag to go back to Pittsburgh. But when you look at teams who have more than six and a half million dollars in cap space, San Jose, obviously not a fit. Buffalo has their young goalies. Boston, not a fit. Detroit has their goalies. Mini has their goalies. Winnipeg, you know, they're trying to get rid of Hellebuck, not bring in a John Gibson. Nashville has sorrow. Seattle has their goalies. Arizona has their goalie. Chicago. There you go. <laughs> Those are the teams no. who have enough money to fit them in. Like there's just, there's no yeah. spot for them when you look around the league. It, it does become difficult, but here's a couple things to keep in mind. One, I think one of the teams that you didn't mention that doesn't have quite enough cap space, but some, and their goaltending situation is still a little bit up in the air is New Jersey with Vanacek and Schmied. The one thing to keep in mind with Schmied, I think first off, the devil's priority or preference, I should say, would be for Schmied to go to the AHL and start the entire season and play as many games as possible. Two, the fact that he's waiver exempt gives them that capability to do so. So there is an opening there. And three, you mentioned the cap space, and I think this is important to keep in mind. The Ducks are still $6 million, sorry, $8 million from the cap floor. <laughs> yes, there's still a couple pieces that they need to resign. Troy Terry needs a new deal. That's not going to be cheap. Jamie Drysdale needs a new deal. Trevor Zegras needs a new deal. Those are all not going to be cheap. So they're not going to have any issue hitting the floor. But the reason I point out the Ducks cap number is they could easily take a contract or two back in a transaction because if you're trading off Gibson's deal, that's just further away and more money that you actually need to spend. Why wouldn't you take something back? That's maybe how they can increase the return in this deal for Gibson to ultimately pull something like that off. Hmm. Yeah, th that's an interesting team, I guess, because you're right. They're they're just a hair under, but if money's going back the other way, they they can probably find a way to uh, find a way to make it work. It'll be interesting to see if John Gibson is uh, in a duck sweater, still with that team come next season. And uh, another name we've been hearing a bit of throughout the off season, Frank. What's going on with that Tony D'Angelo trade? I thought it happened like three weeks ago, and it's still <laughs> being held up. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been held up for a bit, mostly due to the. NHL, CBA, and the way that that works, you're not allowed to trade a player somewhere, have them retain salary, and trade him back to you within a calendar year. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I would have argued that as cut and dry as the CBA is, the fact that it was draft to draft in a non-COVID year, like that would signal to me that it's been a full hockey calendar year. Nonetheless, the league wasn't buying that argument. Um, and there were other arguments made on that front, but the deal was parked. And my understanding at the time was that it was Tony D'Angelo and the Flyers will retain half, which knocks him down to two and a half million bucks in exchange for prospect Massimo Rizzo, an unsigned college player that uh, was a late round pick, but someone that has put up pretty good numbers. Uh, I don't know where that stands. I believe it's going to still be executed, possibly as soon as Monday. But I think the two sides, the Flyers and the Canes, had sort of just put it on the back burner, knowing that they needed to get past July 8th, and certainly possible that it gets worked out real soon. Fair enough there. That'll, I mean, we talked about this almost when they signed Orlov, but it was like, damn, they got a lot of D-men there. Yeah. If you're going to add Tony D'Angelo to the mix, Orlov, Slavin, Burns, Shea, Pesci, 
Jalen Chatfield, Dylan Coughlin. Now you add D'Angelo in there as well. Like it's eight guys who can play in the NHL, Frank. Something's got to give. Yeah, I mean, I think what it does is provides them the ultimate flexibility now if they wanted to move one of those guys, Pesci or whoever it is. I mean, you're facing the same thing with D'Angelo because he would then be an unrestricted free agent in one year's time. But if you think about it from the Canes perspective, you're adding Tony D'Angelo, who can still get you 50 points and, and still had a pretty decent point production season for the Flyers, despite all of the um, healthy scratches. You know, you're adding him at surplus value mm-hmm. from a Canes perspective. He's playing at a number way above what his cap hit will be for you. It's a steal. You're going to get D'Angelo in your roster and you'll have the second round pick you got for trading D'Angelo last year. To and use the, the third draft. and the fourth. Uh, I think those ones were this year because I only see unless okay. they moved them in other deals. But all I see is the second on their cap friendly. But still but second, it, third and fourth. And now the Flyers retained half. <sighs> yep, different nice regime, little, different yeah. regime, but still pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I'm not going to rip the flyers. I'm going to give stick stick taps to Don Waddell for the nice little piece at work there, flipping them back and forth. Uh, Before we wrap up the show, Frank, let's talk about arbitration. You talked about Troy Terry. Um, There's four down, 20 to go. Terry is one of them. Actually, I think there's 19 to go because Noah Cates settled in Philly today, right? Yep, that is correct. Noah Cates, uh, two times 2.625, according to his agent, Ben Hankinson avoiding arb and yeah that leaves 19 to go we also have the schedule of arbitration dates kurashev brandon duhame and alexi toropchenko from the st louis blues they are all scheduled to go first on july 20th i'll point out a couple of the real interesting cases samsonov july 21st i don't think the Leafs and Samsonov's camp are that far off. I feel like this was one of those, hey, you file for arbitration and that will give us some more flexibility later, which, by the way, a second buyout window opens for teams once an arbitration case is settled or awarded. That opens a three-day, 72-hour window for teams to execute another buyout, but only if that player... um, earned more than $4 million. So that's one interesting little wrinkle to it. But um, yeah, to bring it, Timo Meyer, all these outstanding, some of these outstanding cases were already settled. There's a few other intriguing ones. Uh, Vince Dunn, July 24th, along with Tanner Janot, Brett Howden's the same day from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Will Borgen settled over the weekend to, uh, two times 2.7. I mentioned before, I thought he was in line to triple his pay, and that's exactly what he did. Jeremy Swayman, how about him from the Boston Bruins, a team with next to no cap space, along with Trent Frederick. Those guys are July 30th and August 1st. Troy Terry, August 2nd. Philip Gustafson is a fascinating one for the Minnesota Wild on August 4th. And that same day, August 4th, is Ryan McLeod from the Edmonton Oilers. Um, You being in Edmonton, Tyler, lots of intrigue with the McLeod situation. And it feels like the hang-up on McLeod is what's causing the holdup for Bouchard. Because I think they want to try and get Bouchard as much money as they can fit on the cap, or at least as much as... And he's probably hoping they can give him as much money as they can get him. Probably in that $4 million neighborhood or just south of it, I think is sort of where they were talking, three nine five somewhere in that range. McLeod, though, I think there's probably some frustration on his end because he maybe felt like he was wedged in last year on the Oilers cap and now finally has some arb rights that he can flex and he's in line for a pretty significant raise from last year. The Oilers can't really do anything until that's settled. They can't do anything with Bouchard until they know exactly how much McLeod is going to cost. And that's, uh, at least for the moment, kind of hamming up their summer. 
Yeah, 11 goals in 57 games. And the thing with McLeod is he's one of those few guys in the Oilers lineup who like basically never gets time with McDavid and Dreisaitl, right? He's on the second power play unit that gets 15 seconds every power play. He plays on the third line right behind those guys on the depth chart. And he still produces at a decent clip when he's healthy. Um, the Oilers right now, $6.3, $6.35 million in cap space. I think McLeod two by two would make sense if they were to settle, right? Bring him up a couple of years, get him $4 million in his pocket. It would almost triple his salary as well. Am I often thinking two by two is the right way to evaluate this player? Do you think he's worth a little more than that? Um, I don't think you're far off. I think that's sort of right in the range that I would have him in. But maybe if it were that easy, it would already be done, right? Like if you were to slot yeah. Bouchard at four or just under and and McLeod at two and you just sort of, you know, what, you know, wipe your hands and you're like, okay, we're done. If it were that easy, the Oilers probably would have already done it. So my guess is McLeod is looking for a touch more than that. And again, the fact that he has the ARB rights, real curious to see where that would end up in terms of an ARB case. And if it means going the distance to get to that number, how long will it linger? You always like to use the line of 100K for every point, right? So that would put him at 2.3 from last year, but he only played 57 games. So maybe he's sitting there going, hey, I am at least a 2.3 on the cap next year. Like right. that's my Maybe minimum. it's closer to 2.5. I, I yeah. think at some point, though, you begin to price yourself out of the opportunity that you have with your team. Yep. And that's, that's certainly something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers aren't really in a spot like they moved out Yamamoto. They walked away from Clem Costin over. A they would have kept all those guys. Years. Like, they, yeah. Do you think they want to erode the the talent in their top nine? No, they're trying to do the opposite. Um, so, and uh, my point was, they don't really have like a lot of other spots on their roster where they have extra money. Like, if if McLeod wants to keep pushing it, like, there's not a clear cut guy that you go, oh, they'll buy that guy out, or they'll just dump that guy for nothing. Like, outside of maybe Warren Fogle, but I know they really want to keep. Warren Fogle as well. Like not really a lot of, a lot more spots for Ken Holland to try to save money right now. No. And that's why you heard McLeod's name pop up ever so briefly. I don't think the Oilers have any interest in doing it, but you, you heard his name out there on the trade market thinking, okay, maybe they might have to, if they can't afford him. A couple other ones that are a little bit intriguing to me. You mentioned Troy Terry and Anaheim. Interesting, but I mean, they have so much money. It's just not really an issue. Um, Philip Gustafson in Minnesota, Frank, they have some money, even though there are some other contracts they need to sign. But just based on last season, Philip Gustafson has a very interesting ARP case. Yeah, it's certainly not going to be cheap. I, I think he's right in that four plus million dollar range. I guess the bigger question would be term. And how how deep do you want to go on term with a goalie? Yeah. Um, the last two that I had written down here were Ross Colton and Tanner Janot. Um, two guys, again, on contenders with not a lot of cap space, Frank. Uh, either one of those two are, are either of them interesting. I guess Colorado has that Landeskog money they can kind of uh, play with. So nothing too, too concerning there. But for Tampa, um, what about the guy they gave up? What, what was it? Five draft picks for at the deadline? Yeah, that one's the tough part for Tanner's, you know, is that, you know, when you look at his ARB case, it's going to mostly be based off of the 76 games that he played last year and only scored six goals. Yeah. You basically have to throw out the 24 goal season that he had the previous year. And so what you're looking at in total two is 172 games and 35 goals and 66 points. So um, I think the preference for the lightning, if I were guessing would be to try and sign Janot to a deal that does obviously does not go to ARB. You get, I think like a lowercase Nick Paul deal. He got seven years, 22.05 million. So that's 3.15 cap hit. See if they can get someone like Tanner Janot for a longer term that locks him in at a more reasonable, whatever that number looks like. Um, but this is a pretty big opportunity for Janot. He's played 
172 NHL games. So um, almost it is two full seasons plus a, a shade more. And his career earnings in total are 2.03 million. This is at age 26. You got to cash in. Yeah. Uh, before we end the show, there was one other team I wanted to ask you about, Frank, and that's the Calgary Flames. I mean, we kind of all had our eyes on, well, both them and the Jets as two Western Canadian teams who had a lot of assets they were going to potentially try and move during the offseason. Um, Hannafin's still there. Lindholm is still there. Backland is still there. Is, is there a reason why Craig Conroy maybe hasn't moved these guys yet? Like, what's going on in Calgary? Well, for one, with Lindholm, he's still trying. Mm. And still trying to get him signed? Still trying to get him signed. They're optimistic. They're thinking that the longer they grind on him, the more they try and talk through this, that they're going to be able to get something done. I think they hold that same hope for Backland. Hannafin, there's no hope. He, They know he's not re-signing there. But at the same time, there's no animosity there and no friction. He's perfectly willing to come back and and play out the year. And I think for that reason, Craig Conroy is kind of slow playing it. Haven't gotten a no from Elias Lindholm yet. Maybe the longer it drags on, the answer becomes apparent. But until you have a clear and definitive answer, why rush to do something? Why cut off your nose to spite your face? So I think the flames are going to take their time and, and sort through this and see if they can, maybe get through the start of the season, maybe if it comes to that point and see if they can convince one or two of these guys to stay. And then let's wrap up with the jets. Mark Shifley is still there and Connor Hellebuck is still there. Um, They got an okay haul for Pierre-Luc Dubois. But again, this was supposed to be a summer where Kevin Cheveldayoff has a bunch of things going on and auto Wheeler traded Dubois and they still have maybe their two, two of their bigger trade assets still sitting on the roster. Yeah, it's been a little bit quiet on that front. I think the market has been really difficult to drum up for Hellebuck. And I don't know what that looks like, where he goes, how that ends up working out. Shifley is interesting to me because, first off, I think it'll be really curious to see what it's like in that organization without Blake Wheeler. And those two guys were pretty close. At the same time, I'm a little bit surprised because coming off of a career year with 42 goals, that there wasn't more interest in this guy that only makes 6.125. And yes, you need to pay him if you're trading for him. You don't have to, I guess. You could keep him as a as a rental. But at 6.125, to think that there hasn't been teams frothing at the mouth to get a center like Shifley at age 30 with the hockey IQ off the charts. That part has been surprising to me. And maybe it's because either the jets hold him in such high value, or maybe it's because the jets are wondering if they can be really competitive for another year with all the guys that they have. They basically added an entire line of forwards to their team. Yeah, they certainly did improve the depth and you wonder if next year, like, they get a fully healthy Nick Ehlers for 82 games. Cole Perfetti missed some time last year. That's a young guy with really good upside. Maybe it's not insane to think that the Jets can find a way to stay in the mix. Because when you look at the way the Western Conference could be shaken up, not to be doing a whole season preview here with you, Frank, but there could be some openings there when you look at those wildcard spots. Yeah. There's a lot happening. It's yep. uh, July 10th, and there's a lot still in the mix between the Jets and the Flames and... One thing to keep an eye on, too. Uh, I think we're nearing a conclusion and an announcement on the Hockey Canada 2018 World Junior investigation. So stay tuned. It sounds like that is coming down the pike. And are teams bracing for like suspensions there from current NHLers? I think they are. Interesting. All right. So there will uh, continue to be news, Frank. And I'm sure when you sit there and I mean, we're still talking about Shifley and Hellebuck and the guys in Calgary, you just wanted to enjoy your summer. You would have preferred all these to happen a week ago, right? At the very least, we crossed Alex DeBrinkett off the list. So a big name off the board in the last 24 hours. And you got internet at the beach though, right? Like you can sit there, kick your feet up and just make sure the phone's on ringer in case someone calls. I can. Yeah. Just got to stay hydrated. That's all. Unlike Jason Greger, who goes to the mountains, and this is really 
it really sums up his personality nicely. When that guy wants to go away, he has the ability to turn off his phone. He probably throws it in the glove box. And he doesn't check it for like, it's, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything, but even like during the season, he's like that too. Like we get yep. to a weekend and sometimes in our group text, I'll send something out and we don't hear anything from Gregor until like Sunday night at eight. It's like, where have you been? Oh, I put my phone away. I respect be it. A, I, I don't I, have the ability to do that. I don't, I, I mean, I definitely don't in what I do, but I guess if you're him and that's not how your work world revolves, like must be so freeing to be able to put that away. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to be a wrap on uh, this week's edition of the pod. Frank, you uh, continue to enjoy your summer. And as news breaks, we'll continue to drop new episodes of the DFO rundown. If you want a little bit of video content throughout the summer as well, make sure you head over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link to that is in the description of today's episode as well. On top of that, we also got the link to the latest 2024 Stanley Cup odds from our friends at patano.ca. 19 plus, please play responsibly. The game starts now at Patano. Frank, chat again next week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.